up, y'all? This is John LaRance, the producer of Anesthesia Guidebook. Today, I'm honored to have a very special guest on the podcast. Kiki Mattress is the powerhouse behind the popular blog and Twitter feed, The CRNA Chase, which seeks to inspire, empower, and motivate people who are interested in becoming CRNAs. In this episode, I talk with Kiki about her journey to become a CRNA and her passion for helping other people understand how to be successful on that same path. Kiki's professional career started after an associate's degree in engineering from Tri-County Technical College. After working in engineering and deciding that it wasn't the path for her, Kiki returned to Tri-County for a diploma as a surgical technologist. It was while Kiki was working in the OR as a surgical tech that she first met a CRNA who ended up becoming her mentor and encouraged her to return to nursing and then anesthesia school. She took up that path with another associate's degree in nursing from Tri-County, followed by her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of South Carolina Upstate, and then her Master of Science in Nursing Anesthesia from the University of New England. Upon graduating from UNE, Kiki moved back to South Carolina, where she works as an independently contracting CRNA. You don't want to miss this episode, and if you're already an SRNA or CRNA, I encourage you to check it out and then forward this on to the people you know who are thinking about becoming a CRNA. And with that, let's get to the show. Well, Kiki, thanks so much for joining me on Anesthesia Guidebook. I really appreciate it. Oh, Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Oh, super. Well, I would love if you would tell the listeners a little bit about your journey. You know, what got you interested in becoming a CRNA and a little bit about the blog and website that you run? Yeah, so I'm a nurse anesthetist in South Carolina at a small community hospital, and I'm married. I have three kids all in college, which is crazy, um, crazy times right now, but it's fun times as well. And prior to becoming a CRNA, I was actually in the engineering field and I hated it. And I worked with a a lot of men and the men did not like me and I didn't like them. So I decided I wanted to be a nurse and, and, you know, switch gears, but there was a waiting list. So while I was on the waiting list, I actually became a surgical tech. And then I worked as a surgical tech for about four years. And it was during that time that I was also in nursing school. And this was, this is where I really came to understand what a CRNA was all about. So basically I would just see someone at the head of the bed during their surgery who wore many hats. You know, they, they were a provider, a leader, advocate, uh, highly skilled and confident. And it was then that I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And my curiosity pretty much led me to my CRNA mentor by the name of Carol Morgan at Greenville hospital in Greenville, South Carolina, and she encouraged me to pursue it further. It's interesting what you said about being an engineer. What kind of engineering did uh-huh. you do where, that, where you did not get along with your male colleagues? <laughs> well, this was like back in 1997 oh or gosh. so. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot of females in um, engineering like right, that. So right. I was in electromechanical engineering. And so um, I pretty much, I knew right away that it probably wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you got your start as a, as a surgical tech and then that's where you met CRNAs for the first time. Exactly. I had never heard of a CRNA before that. That's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. So now you're a independently practicing CRNA and you run a website, a Twitter account and a blog 
that you've titled the CRNA chase. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that. What's the focus of your work? Well, you know, I never really set out to start a blog and you know, I think the idea really just came from a million other ideas I had about different things and, you know, just my desire to share my CRNA journey. So basically, um, I said, why not start a blog? And so my focus has really evolved over the last year. It pretty much started out with no true direction other than just telling my story and then just how I became a CRNA. But now I pretty much have narrowed it down to personal growth, professional development, and a little bit on financial literacy because I had paid off a significant amount of debt, you know, with credit cards and stuff. So that's kind of my focus now. Yeah. And this is geared specifically towards people who are interested in becoming CRNAs. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. What got you motivated to help others? I mean, you say this started out as a a personal blog about your own story, but it's mm-hmm. kind of shifted into, I mean, looking through your blog, you've got a, so much stuff on there that are, that are really about helping other people discover what it means to be a CRNA, to learn about the profession, and then how to kind of undertake that path to becoming a CRNA. So what got you stoked specifically about helping others discover that journey? Yeah, it was just mostly because my journey um, you know, to be in a CRNA just left me feeling overwhelmed at times. Yeah. And honestly, it just didn't look like it was in the cards for me for a number of years. So, you know, I mean, while I speak on, you know, being motivated and all this stuff, staying motivated and, and determined, I also do believe you have to put in the work, to, you know, to get to where you want to be. But my on my site, my hope is that you know, I can simplify and streamline and educate um, the whole process of being accepted to CRNA school. Yeah, yeah. I guess we should talk about your your path to becoming a CRNA was a little mm-hmm. different than the typical, you know, go to high school, go to college, mm-hmm. go to anesthesia school. Uh, you went back to anesthesia school a little bit later in life. Is that right? Yeah, actually, um, you know, I actually wanted to be a CRNA for a number of years and it just kind of took took longer than longer than some people um, to get there. But I actually started at age 39. And in my class, I still wasn't considered the oldest. I think it was like three or four older than me. But I definitely. Wow. Yeah, but definitely starting at 39 with uh, three kids, three teenagers, one. Matter of fact, my son started college as a freshman the same year I started as a CRNA in CRNA school. So y'all are both studying. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. And how long after nursing school before you went back to anesthesia school? I graduated uh, nursing. I got my associates first, so that was 2007. And then I went back and got my bachelor's in 2011. And then I started 2015 CRNA school, so... About eight years. Yeah, that's interesting. And so you were mm-hmm. able to complete that while raising three kids and being a busy mom. Oh, yeah. Like that's to me, that's the easy part because my kids are so good and um, they've seen me like grind and do all this stuff. And so they've always been, you know, been all about, you know, getting their work done and whatever I needed. They were available, you know, so yeah. housework, anything like that. That actually was the easy part for me. Oh, interesting. How old yeah. how old was your youngest kid when you went to anesthesia school? Uh she was let's see, eighteen, fifteen, thir- yeah, thirteen years old. Okay. 
So like able to kind of take care of herself a little bit. Oh yeah. Well, that's fascinating. I hope that um, we'll talk a little bit more about your story and kind of how it all evolved um, for the listeners here in a minute. But what do you think that, um, you know, your, your blog is focused on people who are interested in becoming CRNAs. So you're looking at RNs and other healthcare providers who obviously are not yet anesthesia providers. What are some of the most common questions that they reach out to you about? Like what, what are they wondering about in terms of that path and journey? Yeah, I mostly get questions like, um, you know, some in my mid thirties, do you think I'm too old to go to CRNA school? Or this is my academic stats. You know, do I really have a chance of getting into a program? And then sometimes I get personal questions just based off my story, you know, from my blog, like, you know, like maybe from an article I wrote, but I got this one recently. How did you overcome low self-confidence while in school? And I actually turned that one into an article. And then, you know, like for the ones that do actually, you know, take the plunge and apply to school, they ask me to review their CVs and their personal statements, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What kind of answer would you give someone who's reaching out to you who's wondering if they have what it takes for anesthesia school? Maybe they're concerned about their academic progress to date or their age or their confidence level? What kind of answer Mm -hmm. would you give to someone like that? Yeah. So um, being that I was 39 years old when I actually went back, you know, went to anesthesia school, um, I actually just tell them, just look at me as an example. And I hate to say, like, I know it sounds cliche to say, like, I did it. So I know you can do it. But that's actually the truth. If you look at my journey, it definitely wasn't um, an easy journey. But I feel like if it's something you really want, you just got to put your mind to it and just go for it. Because, you know, my motto is or my saying is, why not? Like you at some point, you just got to put that fear aside and just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've talked about the three components that are critical to understand about the journey to becoming a CRNA. Will you tell us a little bit about those? You've, you've mentioned them on your blog. Yeah, I can't really uh, take complete credit for these components because it wasn't until I read a book. I think it was, and I hope I get this right, it's titled Limitless, Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional Life by Jim Quick. It was then that I realized this is what my blog was mostly about. Uh Um, So to, I feel like to increase your chances of staying on course, you know, getting accepted and graduating because honestly getting accepted is the easy part. People don't realize that. Getting, I feel like getting accepted is the easy part. The hard part for me is maintaining nothing less than a B plus and finishing the program. I feel like you need to have an unlimited mindset. You need to have unlimited motivation and you just need to have unlimited methods for getting there. So basically you do whatever you need to do to fulfill your prerequisites, your shadowing, all these things. So my theory is if you can strengthen these areas as much as you can, then you have a really good chance of becoming a CRNA one day. That's interesting. So to recap those, that's your mindset, your motivation, Mm -hmm. and then your methods. Methods. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you mean by methods? Methods to me is like what you need to do skill set wise, um, you know, whether ICU experience, your shadowing, your prereqs, your community service, whatever that method is to get to where you need to be to get that interview, it needs to be unlimited. You need to do whatever you need to do to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
And could you speak a little bit? I, one of the things that I find so interesting that I talk a lot about on mm-hmm. Anesthesia Guidebook is the mindset. And particularly, mm-hmm. I, I've been inspired by the work of Carol Dweck, who has a book out, um, I think it's called a growth mindset, but the concept anyway is growth mindset. The idea that your intelligence and your skill sets are actually malleable, that you can grow those things if you yes. um, adopt the a proper mindset. So what, what would you say about the mindset of individuals who are looking to get into anesthesia school? What kind of mindset do they need? Yeah, there's, there's actually two different kinds of mindsets. You have a fixed mindset and you have you know, the growth mindset. And so, of course, when you have a fixed mindset, you have this this mindset of, oh, I can't do it or and I think that's mostly, you know, fear. But when you have this this growth mindset, it really doesn't matter what they tell you. You're going to find a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. Like and I feel like that's the thing. I don't know what it is right now with um, I feel like people in general right now. It's like a lot of people have this fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. And I feel like that's the problem right now. And that's something mm. that I try to, I do try to address that on my blog, even though I know that it's not all about motivating people to go to school because you got to put in the work. You got, you know, you got to have that education um, component. You got to have that skill set to be a CRNA. But I do feel like that's what, that's what's holding a lot of people back is having a fixed mindset. I wonder if you would tell us a little bit more about what you found most challenging about your personal journey to becoming mm-hmm. a CRNA. Yeah, for me, the most challenging part was just being uncomfortable every single day, uh, whether in class or in clinicals. And, you know, just really just trying to figure out how I learned best because, you know, before CRNA school, I had always been pretty smart. Um, and I didn't have to study much and I still got good grades, Yeah. but in CRNA school, that doesn't work. So I spent a lot of time just praying and researching while in the program about the best way to study and how to have that, that information stick long-term. That was my issue. Like I can learn it short-term, but to have it stick long-term, um, was something I had to really work on. So what I tell my, um, audience or my readers is, you know, like they should address, they need to address that prior to starting school um, because that's, that's so important and it's key to them finishing the program. Yeah. And you're talking about study methods and actually developing techniques on how to learn things. Exactly. Yeah. I I would echo that. I think I floated into anesthesia school thinking Mm -hmm. it would be kind of like nursing school. You know, skim through the chapters, kind of, you know, look at the notes, talk to some classmates, you know, have, quote, a study session at the coffee shop or whatever, but then kind of float into the exam with some general concepts under my belt yeah. and, and and work it out and get through it. And I approached my first round of exams in anesthesia mm-hmm. school with that, with that mindset, and I got obliterated. I mean, I got, oh, yeah. I got hammered. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is different. You actually need to know everything. Like, and you, exactly. need, you need to understand everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. so it's a different, and and I had to go on that journey. Probably the first, I'd say the first six months of anesthesia school was about figuring out how to be in anesthesia school, like how to, how to study, how to learn, how to dial it in. And then after I figured out those study techniques, it became Mm -hmm. much, I guess it became much easier just because I figured out the way to actually make the grades that I needed to, to be successful, Mm -hmm. to learn the content. And then obviously to, to figure out clinical along Mm -hmm. the way. Exactly. That's kind of what I went through in my first six months was terrible. 
And um, it, and it was just because I just didn't know. You know what I was doing was I was studying passively instead of actively. Yeah. So just sitting there and reading a book, that's not going to usually that's not going to stick long term. So you got to be doing some active things to, to um, get it to stick in your head. And so once I figured that out, I was fine. And then now I feel like I can learn anything. Yeah. It's interesting how that works, which, yeah, which again is why I think embracing a growth mindset is so powerful. Like it, it really is powerful. Mm-hmm. It unlocks a level of potential that a lot of people are not operating with because they have that yeah. fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. I yeah, agree. That's super interesting. Well, what do you want folks to know who aren't in the anesthesia profession who are thinking about it? Uh, that may not be readily apparent to like other healthcare providers. So, and I, I'm asking that question because of your context. Like you were, you were a CST. You're a you're a certified surgical yeah. technician hanging out in the OR, and uh-huh. you know I, I I work with these people every day. You work with these folks, not just CSTs, but ORRNs, uh, perioperative technicians, ICU nurses, PACU nurses. Mm-hmm. I find sometimes that people think that they know what anesthesia is, but then when I see those folks as SRNAs, they're often uh-huh. shocked. They're like, I had no uh-huh. idea. So what, what would yeah. you say to people who are thinking about anesthesia, but they haven't really dipped their toe in yet? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would mostly say that, you know, we're a graduate level and doctorate prepared, you know, advanced nurse practitioners. Uh, you know, we come into the profession with years of critical care experience. We're all high achievers academically. For instance, with me, I was a nurse for eight years prior to starting the program. And then my background is med surge, ICU, PACU, CCU. And a lot of people don't realize this, too, is that most of the hands-on anesthesia care in the operating room is provided by us, the CRNAs. Right. It, which most people don't even get that. And um, and then I, always, I also want, want to let them know, like, the journey to becoming a CRNA is long and arduous at times. Like, we put in the work. <laughs> we didn't just show up and say we're going to be a CRNA. Like, we put in years of work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, I mean, everyone's path is unique. But I think from the time mm-hmm. that when I was working as an EMT basic in rural Western North Carolina to the point yeah. – where I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to nursing school. I'm gonna do prereqs to nursing school. I'm gonna do nursing uh-huh. school, some ICU experience, and then anesthesia school. From when I made that decision to when I passed my CRNA boards was a nine year process for me. Wow! And I was yeah. learning that whole time. I mean, I, granted, I took five years and hung out as a critical care registered nurse, which was you know longer than the average. I think the average is about mm-hmm. three years. And by the end of that, I was like, oh my gosh, if I have to be an ICU nurse for one more year, I'm going to go crazy because I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to go on and do something yeah. different. But um, yeah. I would also um, echo that and support that statement. That is a long, hard journey to become a CRNA. It is. It is. Yep. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about a different kind of difficult journey. Um, let's talk a little bit about race in healthcare and, and how that influences the journey. So you are a black woman in America who's achieved an incredible amount of professional success. You have an amazing family with high achieving children. You're mm-hmm. on a mission to help others find their way in the healthcare world. What would you say to other black individuals, people of color, and folks who have the deck stacked against them in terms of systemic racism and marginalization about pursuing a career in healthcare? Yeah, you know, I would just say that, you know, I know the I know how hard it is to continue to get up every morning 
you know, with this burning desire to be a nurse, you know, or, or to be a CRNA or whatever you desire to be, and then be faced with the same injustices over and over. Um, even though I have come so far, you know, professionally, I actually was like a resident assistant years ago, even before, you know, all the engineering and stuff um, in assistant living. And today I'm a CRNA. There's still times when I'm still looked at just based on my race. So it's definitely frustrating. It's disheartening. Um, you know, I get it. But I would say don't let that stop you from succeeding in life. Uh you know, my motto is don't talk about it, be about it. And so I feel like the time to actually do something with your life is right now. That is some powerful stuff. Don't talk about it, be about it. Yep, that's that's my motto. That's actually what I use to get through um, CRNA school, too. I had a few different ones, but that was one that I would always use. What what moments would that come up? Like when when do you hit a certain level of rock bottom to where you're like, don't talk about it, be about it? Yeah. So like when I would be in, in class and I'd be like, man, I put in all the work to be here and man, I got this bad grade. And I'd be like, instead of just kind of getting down, I'm like, no, nah, you can do this. Quit talking about how you wish you had good grades and actually put in the work and figure it out. And the next time kill the exam. So that's kind of where I came up with that. And that's when I would use it in that situation. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. What do you want white folks to hear about the journey to becoming a CRNA that black indigenous and people of color face. So African-Americans only make up 1.3% of CRNAs. So if there are only 50,000 CRNAs in the country, that's only like 650 of us. So when you think about that, it's mind boggling. So for me, being in a class or a region like New England or in the state of Maine where you're the only black in a class or in clinicals, even in my job in operating room right now, you quickly feel like you don't belong. So even today, I can't tell you how many times I'm mistaken for like housekeeping or a nursing assistant. So, yes, I definitely face discrimination and biases during my journey. And I feel like that's something that needs to change. And if I can be honest with you, John, it's actually just exhausting being black, <laughs> just being black, period, sometimes exhausting. Yeah. So to that, I, I just want to say that I feel white people, I personally feel like white people that do the right thing. I applaud them because it's a lot of them that do. But I feel like they should be the ones educating and calling out the ones that don't do the right thing. Right, right, right. So what I would say is. You know, when white people see us in the classroom doing good or in clinicals or in the operating room to just respect us, don't stereotype us, speak up for us when they see something wrong. And I feel like last they should talk to their kids and others about injustices and racism and the effect and the effects of it, because I feel like at the end of the day, we can correct all of this if we work together. Kiki, I think that's amazing. I think it's I think it's super interesting to realize that there's 1.3 percent of CRNAs who are black mm -hmm. in the in the United States, and the in the kind of search for role models that I think people who are not white go through and, and need. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, which is one reason why I, I I'm so stoked to do this show with you, and mm -hmm. and not just do the show with you, but about the work that you're doing because I think that you have such a powerful message and a positive message for anybody going to anesthesia school, but especially people who are not white. 
And yeah. and what you just said about you know that the onus is on white people to correct the systemic uh, racism that is inherent that that is that is part of the system that was built by generations of other white people. It reminded me of a New York Times article I just read uh, where Chris Rock is talking about his new show on FX uh, called Fargo, and so they're talking about. Um, Oh, I don't know. Let's see. The, uh, he's talking about racism, his stand-up show a few years ago that he did. But I want to read this for folks. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can see the whole article. I mean, it's Chris Rock. He's hilarious. But he's going through and he's talking about how racism is real. It's not going to go away. And he says that, you know, mm-hmm. quote, he said, I said this before, but Obama becoming their president is progress for white people. It's not progress for mm-hmm. black people. Again, this is a quote mm-hmm. from Chris Rock. It's the Jackie Robinson thing. It's written like he broke a barrier as if there weren't black people that could play before him. And that's how mm. white people have learned about racism. They think when these people work hard enough, they'll be like Jackie. And the real narrative should be that these people, the black people, are being abused by a group of people that are mentally handicapped. And mm-hmm. we're trying to get them past their mental handicaps to see that all people are equal. He's talking about white people. Uh, okay. And he goes on, quote, uh, again from Chris Rock, humanity isn't progress. He's talking about like the concept of the achievement of being mm-hmm. humane. So he says, humanity isn't progress. It's only progress for the person that's taking your humanity. If a woman's in an abusive relationship and her husband stops beating her, you wouldn't say she's made progress, right? But that's yeah. what we do with black people. We're constantly told that we're making progress. The relationship <laughs> we're in, yeah. the arranged marriage that we're in, it's that we're getting beat less. Uh, mm. And to me, that was just so interesting. What he said about, you know, you wouldn't tell a woman that she's making progress if her husband stops beating her. And it goes back, it puts the onus on white people to say, you've created the system that systematically yeah. disenfranchises some people. And so the responsibility is not on those people to 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 change that system. You created the system. So, you know, there there's an inherent responsibility, I think, for white people mm-hmm. to become aware and then to make change that equals the playing field. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I get tired of hearing like, no, this is what I actually get tired of. I get tired of hearing that we need to educate black people need to educate white people on how not to be racist. Yeah. right. right and I'm right. just like, that don't make sense to me. And so I don't think that. And well, one thing Chris Rock says is, racism pretty much going to be around forever. I do feel like it's going to be around. You can't, you can't change everybody's mindset yeah. right? or, or their thoughts or their beliefs, because a lot of that is just how they were raised. Right. But I do feel like if we started really early, like we started with our kids when they were like little tiny, you know, little bitty things to, and maybe make it that they educate them in school, talking about racism and what you should do and should not do. And all the way through high school, because I think it does take it's going to take decades to figure this out yeah. and to get better. I think we got a good chance of, you know, lessening racism and, and injustices if we can start early. But of course, I don't feel like it's going to be gone forever. It's unfortunate. The one thing that bothers me about the whole thing is that um, as a race, African-American, you know, you're being judged based off your color as if or, or your race. And we're all stereotyped and put into the same bubble, but we had no choice in being what we are, you know? Yeah, like, right. I'm always kind of like asking some of my, my white friends, so when did you get to decide you were going to be white? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just the most illogical <laughs> approach. Like if you just, 
think about it from a logical like it's just it's just completely asinine to be like yeah oh well you're this way because of your skin color and it just goes back to like the the inherent like like the ingrained culturalization of white people to see other people as less than because of their skin like you had no choice like no no one's got it yeah. no one's got a choice about how you're born or or, or who your parents are who who uh-huh. your mama is nobody's got a choice about those things but you do have a choice about how you act in this world that's uh, true you know which is something that my mom taught me um, mm-hmm. So I think that again, yeah, I think the onus is on, it it is on white people to understand, you know, I think about this as a clinical coordinator, um, Mm -hmm. in the kind of environment that we create for our SRNAs in the stories that we tell, uh, and just Mm -hmm. how we facilitate learning into, you know, to approach things from a perspective where you understand systemic racism in, in that it's in healthcare. What I say is, but how do you act once you leave work? What do you say once you get home? Yeah. Um, that That's what I'm always curious about. And and honestly, you know, like my my co- one of my coworkers, she all and she's a white lady. She always say, uh, I'm standing with you. I'm behind you. And that's another thing I kind of get tired of hearing, too, mm-hmm. is I kind of get tired of hearing people, white people say, I'm standing with you. I'm standing behind you. I'd rather see some actionable steps, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like instead of just saying that, but then again, sometimes I don't even know what the next step is. Yeah. So then I can't really respond and say anything, you know what I'm saying? Well, Cause I don't even know what to and, say. I mean, it's, you know, as we've been talking about, it's not a step that you need to take, right? It's a step that that's true. It's a step that's that true. other people need to take. So it's not, it's that's not true. even a step for you to figure out that you need to take. It's a step for the mm-hmm. people who built this system of racial discrimination need to take. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I don't want this whole podcast to be about race because it's, uh, mm-hmm. while that is a, a super relevant point, um, just in any conversation, I think in, in 2020, it's been brought to light, but I think it's a, an important conversation about empowering people to look at careers in healthcare, which is really the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be a part of it is how do you, because to, look at healthcare and to look at higher education and to look at paths towards achieving a better future, regardless of your background, uh, racism is going to be part of that. Uh, disenfranchisement is going to be part of that. And it Mm -hmm. it may not be part of that for the people who, you know, are privileged, but it's going to be part of that for other folks. And I think that, you know, the, the creators of those systems that disenfranchise people, they do have a meaning white folks have a responsibility mm-hmm. to take a look at that, but the podcast mm-hmm. isn't all about that. I want to talk to you again uh, for your readers and for the listeners of this mm-hmm. podcast. If you would talk a little bit about in closing, how has your life Kiki changed on the other side of anesthesia school for you? How, how are things different now after you've gone to CRNA school? Yeah. Um, you know, my life and career has definitely changed more so my career. My life pretty much is, is the same. But, um, you know, right after graduating from CRNA school, we moved back into our home, which we rented out while I was in school. So I was glad to get out of the cold and the snow. Sorry, John. <laughs> I, was, I was glad to get <laughs> And we should home. say you went to school up here in Portland, Maine at the University <laughs> of New right. England. And we actually met each other. We haven't talked about that. We met each other in the clinical environment when you were in SRNA up here. Exactly. So yeah, um yeah, I was ready I was ready to get back home uh into the warm weather. 
in the sun. But as far as my job, I'm, you know, I'm now an independent contractor, like we talked about earlier. So I'm the owner of my own company, Priority First Anesthesia, and my blog, the CRNA Chase. Of course, my salary has increased significantly. So, you know, that has afforded me the ability to pay for my kids' tuition out of pocket without taking out any more student loans. So I'm super excited about that. And then I get to do what I always wanted to do, which is provide anesthesia and take care of people who, you know, can't take care of themselves during that time. So I have to say um, it's just been great. It's been um, a great career move for me. And that's why, you know, I'm really passionate about speaking on it and helping whoever I can to get to where they want to be, whether it's being a CRNA or anything in life, really. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you think back to where you were when you were Kiki, the surgical technologist, uh-huh. and you were looking up at the drapes thinking, oh, I wonder, wonder what that's like. Yeah. What would you tell that person now? What would you tell the Kiki who is the surgical technologist now? What would I tell myself? Yeah. When I was a surgical? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, back then when I was looking over the drape, I and and when I was talking to my mentor, uh, Carol Morgan, uh, she would say, you know, you definitely should be a CRNA. You know, I would actually help her. Like I would hold the tube and stand there, the ET tube or breathing airway. I would stand there and hold it for her. whenever she was ready for it. I give it to her. I was just very um, interested in what she did. And she would say, like, she would give me the steps during the case. She would give me the steps on what I need to do to become a CRNA. And I was like, I'm never going to get there. This is crazy. Like yeah. it's too many steps. I'm just a surgical tech. There's no way I can do it. But now looking back on it, I mean, of course the, the road was long and hard. Um, I would say just keep pushing. Like you say, it's a long road, but if it's for you and if it's meant for you, then it's going to happen. And one of the other things I always say is it may not, seem like you're doing much, but each little step counts, right? Until eventually you get to where you need to be. And again, it's, it's a journey, right? It's not like a sprint. It's a journey. So it'll come in time. I would just stick with it. Yeah. That's a great message. And what, what was your motto again? Don't talk about it, do it. Something like that. Yeah. Don't talk about it, be about it. Don't talk about (laughs) it, be about it. (laughs) Don't just talk about that journey, be about it. Take a, take, take a step. And like you said, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, it's an incredible feeling. Each little step along the way is an important mm-hmm. step. Each prerequisite class to nursing school is an important step, you know, because exactly. you're going to get there at some point and it's so mm-hmm. worth it looking back. Well, Hey, is there anything else that you'd like to say about the journey to becoming a CRNA or, or the work that you're doing? Yeah, I would like to say, you know, for those aspiring to be CRNAs, I would just say, again, the road is long and hard, but just stick with it and definitely reach out to me if you have any, you know, any questions or you just want someone to talk to someone, just a CRNA to listen to you and see if, you know, what you're thinking is you're right on track or not. Um, I'm always open. I get lots of emails and I mean, I have people find me even when I'm on Reddit, they, they'll find me and then they'll send me a question. Um, and just, man, I have one girl, she's an SRNA. I'm not, I think she's in school in North Carolina. She sent me a message today on Reddit. Um, me and her been going back and forth, but she was just telling me like how hard it's been for her as a first year uh, SRNA who just started clinicals. Yeah. And she she sent me a message during clinicals like, oh, my God, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I talked her through the steps. It, she was having issues with induction and 
she she just it wasn't even issues. It's just when you knew you just don't know. And I told her to come up with a system, you know, kind of like she needed to create muscle memory. And so I just kind of laid it out for her. And she actually sent me a, a message today through Reddit while she was in clinicals. And it was like, thank you so much for all your advice. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And she told me she's doing really well. And oh, now her awesome. next, yeah, her next step is to work on emergence. And so then I gave her some more tips on like what to do for emergence. And then she was like, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. I was like, you probably won't get it while you're in school because I felt like emergence was like the hardest thing. Yeah. Because I feel like it's more of an art to it and everybody does it a little different. And so I told her, you're probably not going to get it um, right away, but just continue to do these steps. So I would just say, just keep working on those things. Keep working on trying to be a CRNA. Don't give up. Um, the other thing I say, too, is stay the course, um, be a CRNA. And then some of the stuff that I'm working on is, you know, I'm currently adding services to my site. So like CV critiques and personal statement reviews. I'm also doing strategy sessions, I'm getting ready to start doing strategy sessions. A couple of weeks ago, I actually surveyed my audience and they asked me for a membership site in community forums. So I got also got that in the works. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a lot of stuff going on, but it's really exciting too. That's awesome. Well, Kiki, how, you're doing a lot of things. How can people find you or, or reach you or follow your work? Yeah, definitely check out my site, thecrnachase.com, T-H-E-C-R-N-A-C-H-A-S-E.com. And then I can be reached by email at kiki at thecrnachase.com. I'm also on Twitter. Also, the CRNA Chase, and then on LinkedIn, it should be under Kiki the CRNA Chase. And that's Kiki K I K I. That's right. All right. Well, Kiki Mattress, we're going to put links to all that in the show notes for this episode. And I'm so stoked to touch base with you. I have followed mm-hmm. your work for a while. Um, I've seen you on uh, Twitter and mm-hmm. on the internet webs and on Facebook. And I'm so stoked that you're out there. I'm, I'm so stoked that somebody is out there trying to focus on the next generation of SRNAs, mm-hmm. the next generation yeah. of CRNAs. Because I think people need to hear about the profession. You know, it used to be said that uh, being a CRNA was the best kept secret in healthcare. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're blowing that secret up because people need to see a pathway. They need to see a journey. They need to see mentors and other people who have taken the journey and seen that it's possible and they need to hear those stories. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. It was really fun. All right. Well, we'll have you back at some point too. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm all for that. All right, Kiki. Well, thanks so much and take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, John. Hey folks, John here. You don't want to miss the next show that will drop from Anesthesia Guidebook. I talk with Marcus House about his decision to pick up a used ambulance as his home on wheels during anesthesia school. That's right. This cat is living in an ambulance during CRNA school. So stay tuned. You're going to love our conversation.